check, check, testing, testing, check, check, one, two. The light's not on, the red light. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today online. You know, it's only two days after Christmas, and I have to ask you, have you recovered from the Christmas festivities? I know it's kind of a trying time, sometimes a busy time, a hectic time. Let me ask you this, how many of you have already taken down your Christmas tree? How many of you had it down by noon on Christmas Day? I don't know if any of you are like my wife, Cheryl, but she wants our Christmas tree up right after Thanksgiving. She would actually probably put it, put it up right after Halloween if she could. I have to kind of rein her in on those things. But as soon as Thanksgiving is over, all of a sudden we're playing Christmas music around the house. Everything is starting to be decorated. Everything uh, starts being like Christmas around our house. But as soon as the last present is opened, as soon as the last bite of that Christmas meal is over, all of a sudden my wife wants to immediately start taking everything down. I heard a funny quote that kind of relates to this. It says, next to a circus, there ain't nothing that packs up and tears out faster than the Christmas spirit. There's a lot of truth to that. Yesterday my wife kind of justified that when she went to Target and she came back saying, you're not going to believe it, but they're already putting out the Valentine, Valentine's Day stuff. And to be honest, when it comes to Christmas, I hate to see things taken down. I really do. We've compromised over the years, and now we start taking down decorations after Christmas, but we leave the Christmas tree up at least till January 1st. And I would say Christmas means a whole lot of different things to different people. And sometimes we all fall into different categories of when we think we should put up trees, take down trees, and all that uh, stuff like that. But as you take down the Christmas tree and we take down all the decorations, I look around and everything looks completely bare. I know here at church when we decorate the stage and we have it decorated for the month of December uh, and we take it down in January, all of a sudden it looks bare. All of a sudden you realize there's this dullness compared to the holidays. And it's back to the rat race. I don't know about you, but I'm not really ready to go back to the rat race. It's about, uh, back to the daily grind. And I know we can't stay stuck in the same season all year long, but I'm always kind of shocked how quickly we can shift out of the mode of Christmas and go into something else. Well, today, before we completely put Christmas in our rearview mirror, I want to take a look at the days after Christmas and talk about what we can learn from that first Christmas that would keep that spirit of Christmas alive in our hearts, not just at Christmas time, but all year long. We're going to be going back and reading a passage of Scripture from the book of Luke that talks about Christ's birth, but it also talks about and focuses in on some of my favorite characters in the Christmas story, and it's the characters that I would say are the most overlooked of all, and that's the shepherds. C.S. Lewis, a great man of God, once said this. He said, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths. So I'm praying today that we'll look at this with a new set of fresh eyes 
and try to pull out some meaning, better yet, pull out really an assignment that I think applies directly to us as followers of Christ. And my hope in looking at this a little closer is that we can go into this new year with a whole new vision and mission in our walk of faith, that we'll look at things in a different way, in a fresh way. I want to take a look at this a little more closely and actually from our story, see what the shepherds did directly after that first Christmas. Look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 17. When they, meaning the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I want you to catch that. The shepherds immediately went out and spread the good news about Jesus. There's a religious word for that. You've all probably heard it before. It's called evangelism. And that's what I want to focus on today. Evangelism, what that means. Evangelism, a simple meaning, is spreading the gospel by public preaching or by uh, public testimony or your own personal witness. But unfortunately, that word evangelism has kind of a negative stigma on it, even in the church world, even uh, with followers of Christ. Even me saying that we're going to be talking about evangelism, some of you are probably saying, oh no, evangelism, boring, and you're already tuning me out. Maybe it's just because you haven't seen it done properly. Maybe you've seen it done poorly in the past. Like if you go to a big city, chances are you're going to see somebody standing on a corner with a big sign that says, repent, be saved or be microwaved or turn or burn or some crazy thing like that. One time I went to a game and there was this guy walking around with this big bullhorn and he was yelling at the top of his lungs and telling us all that we were sinners and we were going to hell. Maybe that's your impression of what evangelism is all about. But I heard a really good, simple definition of evangelism. Listen to this. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that. Have you ever noticed that people don't get mad and upset when uh, you tell them or they tell you about something that they love or something they enjoy? Like if you go to a restaurant and you have a great meal, you know it's only normal to want to tell your friends and your family about that great meal and that great restaurant that you experienced? And I've also had friends that uh, invited me or told me I ought to go see a certain movie. And I didn't get mad or upset at them. In fact, they told me that so much that before long, I actually wanted to go see that movie. Evangelism is you and me. It's you and I being willing to step out of our comfort zone and have a conversation with someone that we love about someone else that we love named Jesus. The shepherds, they went out and told everyone what they saw and what they heard. And these shepherds, they weren't educated. They weren't high on the social ladder. In fact, they were the lowest rung on that social ladder. Matter of fact, their word wouldn't even be accepted in a court of law. They're just a bunch of regular Joes out there, tending their sheep in the field, sleeping in the field, protecting and providing for their sheep in the field. And when Jesus was born, the angels came to these shepherds, the lowest of the lowest of people, and invited them to come and greet the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. The Bible says they dropped everything, and I love this. It says they hurried off. They didn't just dilly-dally. They hurried off to find Jesus, and they found him just as the angels had said. This newborn, wrapped up in swaddling clothing, laying in a manger. And what did they do next? They immediately went and they spread the word. You know, when I think about that, I wonder if we would have been as obedient. I wonder that. I wonder if we would have gone to Bethlehem in the middle of the night. 
I wonder if we would have been as quick to go tell what we had seen and heard as they were. I'm guessing that maybe we wouldn't because we let so many distractions get in our way. And here's the thing. They actually did exactly what we as Christ followers are supposed to do. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They told others what they had seen and heard. They spread the word about Jesus. And when you get, get down to it, that's all evangelism is. It's telling the good news about Jesus Christ to someone else. I'll say this, every person in our church, every believer out there listening to me today has a message to share. You have a message to share. The middle-aged business owner has a message to share. The single parent has a message to share. That 10-year-old that just got baptized has a message to share. That 95-year-old that's in a senior uh, care center has a message to share. We all have a message to share. I made a quick uh, list of reasons why I believe we should be committed to evangelism, why evangelism is so important, especially as we start off into this brand new year. The first one, if you're taking notes, is we have been commanded to do that. We've been commanded to do so. Every believer, maybe you didn't realize this, but every believer is a minister. And telling others about who Jesus is and what he came to do, it's not a commission that was just meant for preachers, not at all. The Bible's pretty clear that God has called every believer, not just a few, but every believer to share the good news. And I know it's not easy to get everyone on the same page. And, um, uh, you know, in our congregations, committing to evangelism. And it can be frustrating when you hear people say, well, I don't know if I want to do that because I just don't know what to say. Uh, I don't think I'm prepared. And, and really, when it comes down to it, I don't have time. Or I'm embarrassed to talk about spiritual things. Well, you might feel that way. Still doesn't let you off the hook. Look what it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus calls believers to, and all believers, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Growing up in the church, I've heard this verse preached more times than I can count. But if we would admit it, and we'd be honest, most of us, we don't ever really react to it or respond to it. I remember sitting in church, and I would hear this message preached over and over again. And I remember sitting back and thinking, well, yes, we're all supposed to go out and share our faith. Of course we are. But I think it's really the responsibility of the minister. I'm going to let someone who's more comfortable, I'm going to let someone who's more equipped actually go out and do that. Well, that's not the way it works either. Reminds me of a story that I heard about a chauffeur that had driven this um, chemistry professor to conference after conference. He had sat in all the conferences and heard this professor uh, give this same old canned speech time and time and time again. And on uh, one particular uh, trip to one of these conferences, the chauffeur looks at the professor and says, Professor, I believe I could actually uh, give your speech. Uh, I've heard it so many times. The professor looks back at the chauffeur and says, Hey, I bet you $50 that you can't. And the chauffeur looks back and says, hey, you're on. Well, the chauffeur pulls the car over beside the uh, side of the road, and they change outfits. And the, uh, when he got to the conference, the chauffeur comes walking in in the tuxedo. They seat him at the head table. And when it's time for him to speak, he gets up, and, and he gives this speech just as he's heard it uh, time after time. Perfect. And then when he gets finished, there's a standing ovation. Then the MC gets up and says, you know, we are so privileged to have such a wonderful resource with us tonight, and we have a little extra time, 
How about we have a little question and answer time? Well, the first question was asked, and this chauffeur stood up there. He was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say or what to think. He was choked with nervousness. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he thought this. He thought, and he looked at the person asking the question. He said, you know what? That question is so dumb. It's so dumb that I believe even my chauffeur can answer that question. (laughs) You know, that's the way it is and the way we feel about evangelism sometimes. You know, most of us, probably all of us, for the most part, have heard enough sermons. We've been to enough Bible studies to have enough knowledge to tell someone about Jesus. We really have. Telling someone about Jesus doesn't mean that you have to get into this big, deep theological debate. Telling someone about Jesus is just telling them from your heart what you know Jesus has done for you and what he's been to you. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be, a, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, if we'll just be willing to be obedient, I guarantee you God will be willing to use us. He's more interested, I said it a few weeks ago, in your availability than he is your ability. So all we have to do is ask him through prayer to give us the right words to say at the right time. And he says he will do that. If we're trusting him, he said, open your mouth. He said, I'll fill that mouth. I'll fill you and give you the right words to say. The second reason we should be committed to evangelism is because people are hopelessly lost without Christ. Look what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The truth is people are lost without Christ. This scripture tells us that Jesus is the only way to be saved, that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And we all know in our culture you get some pushback with that. But when it comes to Jesus, I'll say he's not about political correctness at all. He's not worried about that. He's worried about biblical correctness. And one of the hot-button topics in our world today is people are going to argue and they're going to say that uh, Jesus is just one of the many ways to get to heaven. Not true at all. Jesus himself said this. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth and I am the life. So anyone that doesn't know Jesus, they're lost. They're spiritually lost. And without Christ, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how good of a job you have. If you die without Christ, you die without life. You die without spiritual life. And if you're a believer, that should be your mission. That should be our mission mission to tell others about Jesus Christ. There's a great example in John chapter 1, verse 43. Listen to what it says. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And let me point out these next two words. They're amazing. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. How many of you have ever set out on a road trip? And um, it was a long road trip, and you needed a little pick-me-up before you get started. Several years ago, I remember uh, my wife and I deciding we were going to go down and see her brother in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I asked Cheryl if she wanted me to take the first leg of the drive and she said no she says I've got this and we started out late at night because we wanted to avoid some traffic and we got down the road a little ways and we realized we needed to stop and get some gas well while I'm pumping the gas first thing Cheryl does is she goes inside and she gets out this big uh, 16 ounce uh, Mountain Dew from the gas station she gets in the car she drinks it down a little later on uh, up the road she pulls over to another gas station gets a big cup of coffee 
A little bit further down the road, she stops in and gets one of these energy drinks. She didn't drink them all at the same time, thank goodness. But I'll just say this, she was awake. She was wide awake. She had this crazy look in her eye. I'll just say more than normal. Crazy look in her eye. And all of a sudden, my wife, who really can't sing, all of a sudden was singing like she thought she was as good as Adele without the good part. She was completely consumed with caffeine. My point to that is, if we're followers of Christ, we ought to be totally consumed with what and who God is consumed with, people that are far from Him. Let me go back to the Scripture. Philip is found by Jesus, right? He's found by Jesus, and look at the first thing Philip does. Verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. It says Philip found Nathanael. So backtrack a little bit. Jesus found Philip, and Philip went out and found Nathanael. Like the old saying goes, found people. Go out and find people. So let me ask you this today. Is there anyone that you know that needs a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I believe the reason God has put you where you are, maybe in your neighborhood, in your family, uh, on your job, or in your school, because He has a purpose. He has a plan. He wants you to tell someone there about His Son, Jesus. And I know that our friends out there that don't know Christ, they're hungry for something. They just don't know what they're hungry for. Yeah, we want a big new house. We want a bigger house. We want a better model of car. We want more, 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 and nothing satisfies. You know what that tells me? That tells me this world was not created to satisfy us. We're created for something more. And every person, you look around, every person you see, they have an eternal destination of one of two places. And God has called us to take the name of Jesus outside the church walls to minister to those that are everywhere. So who is it that you might know that needs a relationship with Jesus? Listen to this quote from Penn of the magician duo of Penn and Teller. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would be, make it socially awkward? How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I'll tackle you. And this is more important than that. And by the way, Penn is a well-known atheist, but what he, hit, what he has to say about religion, when you look at it for what it is, it's powerful. Sharing our belief in Christ is one of those things that ought to be at the top of our priority list, and if it's not, I have to say we're not loving people like Christ loves people. We're not loving people like God has called us to love people. Look what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When I look at that, this basically is saying we're to be out there witnessing. As followers of Christ, we are to be out there witnessing. Yeah, we're to be snatching some from the literal fires of hell. We're to hate the sin, but love the sinner. Amen? That's what it's saying right there. As Christians, we've got to take our faith to another level. 
As Christians, we've got to be bold enough to go out there and share our faith. And if we truly love God and truly love people, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna want everyone to know Jesus. We're going to want everyone to know Christ. It's just like a firefighter going out there and, and uh, rescuing people from a burning building. I'm sure he'd rather be at home in his secure, comfortable home with his family and his wife. But what's he doing? He's out there ignoring his fears, ignoring himself, really denying himself. And like him, our thoughts are not to be on ourselves when it comes to the spiritual aspect of life. They're not to be on ourselves, but are on, supposed to be on those that are out there perishing. Sometimes we get our priorities kind of messed up. I want to challenge each of you listening to my voice today. This week, go out and witness to at least one person, just one. It could be a coworker, a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a complete stranger. But together, I'm challenging you to practice what I'm talking about, evangelism. Let's be workers for the harvest, the harvest of souls that God has set before us. The third reason to commit to evangelism is evangelism was Jesus' mission, and we're called to do likewise. Evangelism was His mission from the beginning. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost. And because we were created to be like Christ, we're created to have that same mission. Look what John 17, verse 18 says. Jesus says this in a conversation with the Heavenly Father. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So what he's saying is to us, he's sending you and me to tell the world about him. Jesus repeats this same message over and over again in the New Testament. And if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, it's our mission. And that mission is not optional. No, it's not an option. It's a command. We're either obedient to do what Jesus is telling us to do or we're not. There's no in-between. We still have to live in this world until Jesus comes back, until he returns. And while we're here, why not be the salt and the light that God has commanded us to be? We're responsible to reach souls for Him. Do you realize that? We're responsible to point people to Christ, to promote His righteousness. So just ask yourself today, am I making anyone around me thirsty? Am I making anyone around me thirsty for Christ? Am I shining my light into darkness? Or am I contributing to the darkness by my complacency? Think about that. Look at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can any good thing come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Verse 48. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Translation, Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, I know everything about you. Everything. Let me stop right here. If there's someone out there today that you want to know Jesus that I'm talking about, you want to know this Jesus, but you feel like you've done too much wrong, you've messed up so bad in your past that he'll never forgive you, you feel like whether it was 20 minutes ago you messed up or 20 years ago, you feel like he could never, ever love you. This message is for you today because I believe the same thing that he's telling Nathaniel, he's actually telling you. He's saying, hey, I know, I know everything about you. I know every failure. 
I know every sin, I know every problem, and I'm still trying to draw you to my heart. Jesus knows everything about us, and He still wants us anyway. That's the amazing God that we serve. That's the amazing Christ and the amazing grace of Jesus. Verse 49, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So think about it. He went from saying, Nazareth, can anything good, thing, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like he's saying, heck, I've been to Nazareth. There's not even a stoplight in Nazareth. But then he says, you're now the son of, he realizes you're the son of God, king of Israel. That's a big switch. What happened? Look at verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He actually goes on in verse 51 and he says, you shall see the heavens opened up and you're going to see the heavens, the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the son of God. Which scholars actually believe this is a direct reference to Jacob's ladder talked about in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. But if you break it down, basically what he's saying to Nathaniel is, I'm the ladder that's going to connect God to man. And what you're going to literally see, Nathaniel, in your lifetime is you're going to see millions and millions of people coming to Christ to become followers of Christ. You know, I keep thinking not only does God have greater things for me because everything in my life my wife, my children, my friends, my church. Every good thing that I have is a result of Jesus. And if you're out there today and a follower of Christ, everything good you have is a result of Jesus Christ in your life. Think about this. God has greater things than you could ever imagine. For you, for me, things that we can't even grasp, things that would blow your mind, good things. But think about this, your family and friends that are out there that don't know Christ, what does God have planned for them? Do you realize you're a big part of God's plan for them? You may just witness to the next Billy Graham who's going to turn, out and, turn around and witness to millions and millions of people. So the big question is, who do you know out there that needs a relationship with Jesus Christ? I do believe one day when we get to heaven, we're going to have people come up to us and they're going to... Uh, thank us. They're going to say, thank you for coming to find me. I believe Nathaniel might be one of those guys. But going back to what I started with, the shepherds. What the shepherds did is what we're all called to do. We don't need special permission. We don't need any special training to witness for Christ. You just need to tell people what Jesus has done for you. You just need to look at them and tell them about Jesus. Tell them who he is and what he's done. Share your story and invite them to invite Christ into their heart to change their life forever, just as you did. We're talking about good news. Good news is for sharing. That's what the shepherds did. That's what God is calling all of us as believers to do the same thing. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, I pray that in these next few moments, I pray, Lord God, that you would move upon hearts that you would help us to be consumed with your mind and your heart. Help us to understand that we have your power through the presence of your Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Lord, help us to have a passion in our hearts to reach out to this world around us and to tell people about you. Lord, show us how to trust you and lead us to those that are searching for you. 
And help us to put our confidence in you and our courage in you to step out of our comfort zones, to ask you to give us the right words to say, to put the right heart within us to speak those words that they need to hear. We trust you for that. Lord God, help us to make that our mission, the same mission that you came, that you came for. Make that our mission. I give you the praise. I give you the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. You want me to preach it again? You sure? <laughs>